0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We're getting into the story of Nicodemus and his conversation that he had with Jesus and it's important to note the context so jesus is there in jerusalem he's there for the passover he's there participating in the feast and we read about how he participated in the feast before as a young boy at the age of 12 and he is here again in jerusalem participating in the Passover, and it is during this time that Nicodemus approaches him at night in order to have a conversation. And Nicodemus is an interesting individual for us to consider because if you're going to try to select who would be the one person that you would want to represent all of us in having a conversation with Jesus, who would you pick? Right, In a lot of cases, you would need somebody to represent the whole group. You have a spokesperson. That spokesperson would be a representative speaking on behalf of the group. And in a bigger context here in America, that's a lot of ways what the president does. The president and the ambassadors and those that are involved, they are representatives of our country speaking, if you will, on our behalf before other countries. Of course, some are better than others, and you know, we're not gonna get into that, but there is, if you're to consider in this day with Jesus Christ here on earth, who would you have picked to try to be your representative before Jesus Christ, it would have been Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have been an outstanding individual that everyone would have said, you know what, I I believe that he'll do a great job in having this conversation with Jesus Christ. What's interesting here, as we'll get into farther, chapter number three, we see three statements and questions by Nicodemus. He says three things, or asks three questions, and Jesus answers each of those three. And it's interesting to see what Nicodemus says and how Jesus responds. And then after Jesus responds, to see the question that Nicodemus asks, In response to that we see this back and forth three different times and in this back and forth we see a contrast we see this contrast between jesus christ and nicodemus and it's in this contrast that i want to point out how how we see things is not always how jesus sees things and what matters to us is not always what matters to god And what matters to God is not always what matters to us. How we prioritize our day may not be how God would want us to prioritize our day. How we live our life through the week may not be how God desires for us to live our week. And you can kind of see this difference in thought and and, and thinking when you see John chapter 3 and you see Nicodemus and Jesus. And so I want to ask the question, do we see things how Jesus sees things. That's what it means to be more like Jesus Christ. To be more like Christ, we've got to see things the way that he sees things. And we've got to think about things the way that he thinks about things. So I want to take a look at these three contrasts between Nicodemus and Jesus that I think will help us to consider, all right, am I seeing things and thinking about things, how Jesus sees things and thinks about things? So first of all, this first contrast is the external versus the internal. The external... Versus the internal. So, John chapter number number two, in verse number 25, it ends with this phrase speaking of Jesus, for he, for Jesus knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was inside. Jesus knew what people were thinking. Jesus knew how people were approaching the situation. He knew their attitudes. Jesus knew what was in man. And then notice the first words of the very next verse. There was a man. Jesus knew what was in man, and God is saying, all right, let me tell you about one of these men, one of these individuals. And we're going to see this difference between how others saw Nicodemus and how Jesus saw Nicodemus. Because uh, uh, Nicodemus, in verse number one, it begins to describe this man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. See, he was a member of the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were known for their zeal for the law. They, they, they had the attitude of whatever it was that God said, we're going to do what it said and we're going we're gonna to do everything. And it was exemplified in things like the tithe. They would tithe off of every single little thing. And these Pharisees were zealous for the law and for doing what God's word said. Now they created their own tradition on top of it. But they were known for their zeal, their desire to do exactly what was said. And in, in, in the process of time, they got lifted up. And, and it was, it, it's interesting because there was another group of the Sadducees that were also there in the time of Jesus. They tended to be wealthy priests or Levites. The Pharisees generally were not part of that group. They were generally a little bit more middle class, if you will. But they became one of the dominant groups and influences there in that time. Therefore, they would have been respected. People looked up to the Pharisees. They respected what they did and how they lived and how much of the word of God that they memorized and the pattern of their life. Not only that, the Bible says that Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, there were a number of Pharisees that lived in in Israel during that time, but there was a select group of, of Pharisees and others that were members of the Sanhedrin. This member, uh, this group of the Sanhedrin would have been part of the governing council of Israel. They were the rulers of Israel. Uh, I was reading it consisted of about 71 individuals and the head man of the Sanhedrin would have been the ruling high priest. So the ruling high priest rules over this group of 71 individuals that were kind of the ruling group or body over the nation of Israel. And they had great influence. They were able to make arrests. They were able to execute law and judgment. And they had a lot of power over civil matters, religious matters, and criminal matters. So here is this individual... His name is Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee, highly religious, a member of the ruling group or body of the Sanhedrin. Also, he was a teacher. He uses the word word rabbi in describing Jesus, but it's interesting because in verse number 10 of John chapter three, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, art thou a master of Israel? That word for master is the word teacher. So Nicodemus is a teacher and he's approaching Jesus as a teacher. Now, uh, you know, in today's day and age, you know, you hear somebody say that they're a teacher, you say, wow, you know, that's a great profession. And that's good. That's nice. But in this day and age, not only would it have been nice, it would have been a very noble profession, highly respected if you were a teacher in that day and age. So here we have Nicodemus. And I mentioned earlier that if we were to think of a representative for all of us, we probably would have picked Nicodemus or somebody like him. And you can see why. Because everybody would have looked at Nicodemus and said, wow, what a man. Wow, he's zealous. Wow, he's dedicated. He's serious. He's smart. He's able to teach us things. He's, he's got every single character trait that we would consider to be, wow, that's the representative that we would like. He's the equivalent of today's day and age of the Harvard educated, valedictorian, you know, started his own company, became a billionaire by thirty. kind of individual, right? Somebody, you'd be like, wow, he's really good. Wow, he's really smart. That guy's really special. He's clearly a cut above the rest of us. And there's a lot of people that when they look around, they look for those kinds of things. They look for your education, they look for how much money you have, what kind of family you came from, how successful that you are in life, and and Nicodemus would have been the kind of man that everybody would have looked at and said, his resume is spotless, his resume is the one that rises all the way to the top. But let me remind you of the words at the very end of chapter number two, for he knew what was in man. Now, everybody saw what was on the outside. Everybody could see how smart he was and the words that he said and all of his accolades and all of his success. But Jesus knew what was in man. Remember, Nicodemus was a member of the Pharisees. Jesus didn't have such a high opinion of the Pharisees as everybody else did. Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Here is Jesus going to the pharisees speaking against the pharisees saying you guys are tithing off of every single little thing every single little profit that you make you tithe that's great that's good but you're forgetting the big picture thing you're forgetting the matters of the law judgment mercy and faith verse number 24 he continues "Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Right? What God is saying here is, you guys look great on the outside, Pharisees. You guys are spotless, shimmering, clean on the outside, but the inside, you guys are dirty. And God's saying what's on the inside matters. What's on the inside matters. And God is condemning them because they messed up on this part. And the Pharisees tithe off of everything. Every single little prophet they made, they tithe. It would be the equivalent of somebody sitting here in the seat and dropping in a penny and, and somebody looking over and saying, oh, you tied the penny, why are you tied? Well, on the way in, I picked up a dime in the parking lot and I picked up a dime. I got to tithe 10% of this and so I split it up into 10 pennies and I gave one of those pennies. You would be like, wow, this guy's really serious about tithing off of every single dime that comes into his pocket. Wow, he's really serious, he's really zealous. And, and you would think, wow, that's really great. But when Jesus saw this group, He said, there's something wrong with you guys. And I, I want to note what it says in verse number 25. It says, but within there are full of extortion and excess. They are full of thievery and excess. What Jesus is saying is, you guys are tithing off of everything, but where did you get those everything? Where did you get all of that money? It would be kind of the same situation if one of my kids came up to me for my birthday and gave me a brand new iPhone, I'd be like, wow, you got me an iPhone. Did mom buy this for you and tell you to give it to me? Because that would be what you would conclude. And if my kid said, no, I'm like, okay. Did grandma or grandpa buy it and give it to you to give it to me? No where did you get this iPhone from then? (laughs) Oh, I went into the store and I took it. Here you go. Happy birthday. Aren't you happy? I'd be like, no, (laughs) I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Even though I know that you want to give me something, you can't steal from other people in order to give it to me. It's more important that you live godly then that you give me something, right? We would If somebody like my child were to give me an iPhone, I would not view that with happiness, I would view that with suspicion. Hold on a second, where, is, where are you getting this from? Did you steal it? Yeah, I stole it. Well, you gotta give it back then. <laughs> you can't give it to me, you gotta put it back. Well, that's what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. He's saying, okay, I'm glad that you wanna give something to me, but where are you getting it from? That's the bigger picture. That's the more important thing, and so that's what we mean when God is saying that he cares more about the internal than the external, because Nicodemus had a perfect exterior, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are come from God, because we know that only somebody who comes from God, somebody who has God with him, could possibly do these miracles, and then you see Jesus' response to that in verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, "'Verily, verily, I say unto thee, "'Except a man be born again, "'he cannot see the kingdom of God.'" Now, you, you would be like, Jesus, what is, I, I don't understand. Why are you even say this? This is completely unrelated. But it goes back to the phrase that Jesus knew what was in man. On the outside, nobody could find any fault with Nicodemus. But Jesus could look on the inside and say, there's something that's missing there. And unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you're gonna miss out on the kingdom of God. You're gonna miss out on heaven. You're not gonna be saved. And, and, and Nicodemus is sitting there thinking, what, what in the world is going on? You know, I'm a pretty good guy. But Jesus saw what was on the inside. That's the pattern of God. Remember when God was looking for a king in the Old Testament? Remember, he found a King Saul, started off great, then he kind of crumbled a little bit. He cared more about what other people thought instead of what God thought. And God rejected him because he cared more about what other people thought than God thought. And remember, God went to Samuel and he said, Samuel, we got to find a new king, this old king. It's not working out because he's rejecting me. He cares more about the people than he does about me. So he goes and he goes to the city of Bethlehem. He sees all of the sons of, of, uh, of Jesse and he sees that first older brother and he goes, wow, this guy is the guy. Look at him. He looks like a king. And God says, no, 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 that's not the guy. And remember what he says, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looketh on the heart. See, if we're going to be more like Christ, we've got to care more about what was on the inside than what is on the outside. We've got to care more about how God sees us in our heart and on the interior than on the exterior. That's a big portion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In chapter number 6, it says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." But when thou doest the alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So here's a situation where in the Old Testament, there and in the time of Jesus, you would have the offering which would be done publicly. There would be an offering drop box, and people would drop off their offering as they entered in. You know, we do it where we pass a plate around, but they would literally drop off their offering. And, of course, that would make sense because, well, they didn't have checks back in that day. They didn't have paper currency. So if you wanted to give an offering, you would bring a bag of money. You would bring physical coins. And so if you're wealthy, you don't want to lug this big, you know, bag of coins around. You just drop it off. What's interesting here is the phrase that Jesus says here. When thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, all right? All right, I don't know about you, but I've never sounded a trumpet before I laid my offering into the plate, okay? I really don't care whether people know that I drop off something or not, but these guys did. You know, they'd have somebody blow the trumpet. Look, here's somebody important dropping off his big important offering so that you would know that he's big and important, you know? That's kind of the situation that was going on there. And Jesus says, You know what? You guys are doing this so that you could look good to other people. But God doesn't care about that. He only cares about the internal. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus and what he's trying to communicate to you and to me. That it's not so important the way that other people see us. It's not so important whether people think that we're godly or not. It's not so important whether people look up to us or look down on us. What's important is only the way that God sees us, in the way that only God could see us on the inside. And that's what ought to be most important. That's the difference between being religious and being like Christ. Being religious means looking good on the outside. Being like Christ means, God, you've got to cleanse me on the inside. And that's what God is communicating to Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which leads us to the second contrast, which is the physical versus the spiritual. The physical versus the spiritual. Jesus in verse number three says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus's mind immediately goes to the physical. And you can see the response in that in verse number four. Verse number four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So when Jesus uses the words, you must be born again, his mind immediately went towards the physical. The physical things of the physical birth. Can I be physically born again? His mind immediately goes to the physical. But Jesus isn't talking about the physical, is he? He's talking about the spiritual. In verse number five, he says verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born of water and of spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit marvel not that i say unto thee ye must be born again the wind bloweth where it listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth so is everyone that is born of the spirit So the difference here between Nicodemus and Jesus in their thought pattern is Nicodemus is only thinking about the physical, whereas Jesus is speaking about the spiritual, and that's a common uh, uh, fault that even Christians can fall into where we think only about the physical. Uh, Psalm chapter 51 It gives an interesting verse, actually two verses. Verse 16 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Isn't that interesting? We're here in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Isn't the Old Testament all about the sacrifice and offerings? Isn't that the only thing that God wanted? Here it says, God, I know you don't want the sacrifice. I know you're not interested in the burnt offerings. What does he mean by that? Well, he says in verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou will not despise. Here, the psalmist is writing to God and about God, and he says, I know what you're really looking for. You're not looking for somebody to just do something externally religious. What you're looking for is somebody who will be broken on the inside, somebody whose heart will turn towards God and who will say, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, God, however you want me to live, I yield myself to you. That's what God was looking for. That's what God is looking for today. And what God is looking for is not somebody to do some great external show, but to consider the spiritual things. And even when we talk about uh, uh, preaching the Word of God and reading the Word of God, sometimes our, our our minds can always go to physical things, and we always think about the physical. And we can gauge our success sometimes by physical, tangible things. The person who's got the best education resume. Well, he's a really successful one. Oh, here's a person who's really made it high up in his company. He's got a great title. Oh, he's really successful. Here's somebody who's really wealthy. Oh, he's really successful. And it's easy to just kind of fall into that, but what if it were the case that the most successful person were not the wealthiest person? What if the most successful person here today were not the person with the best job that we would look at and be like, well, I would love to have that job. What if the most successful person here were simply the most humble person willing to give themselves to God? What what if that's really what God is looking for? What if God's not really looking for your success? What if God's not really looking for you to give gobs and gobs of money? What if God really just wants out of all of us is for us to say to God, God, whatever you want me to do, not my will, but thine be done. What what if that's the attitude that God's looking for? Nicodemus was solely thinking about every aspect of his life being the physical things, but God is really looking at spiritual things. That's often where even Christians can go wrong in terms of our prayer requests, that our prayer requests are solely focused on physical things, not even necessarily bad things, You might have a financial difficulty, you might have a health difficulty, you might have some of these things, and those are things worth praying over, but what if the most important things were not our physical health, but our spiritual health? What if the most important things were not our financial situation, but our spiritual situation? And what God wants us to do is think about, all right, the spiritual is the more important part. Matthew chapter 6 verse number 19 says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The idea is not how much I can accumulate but where is my heart, and my heart will determine where I put my finances. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we see a second contrast between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus is thinking about physical things, whereas Jesus is thinking about spiritual things. Lastly, what we see in this contrast between Nicodemus and Jesus is the head versus the heart. The head versus the heart. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus things that he doesn't understand. And of course, Jesus knows that he doesn't understand these things. So when Jesus, or when Nicodemus asked Jesus in verse number nine, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? What he's saying is, I don't understand. What do you mean by that? In verse number 10, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, art thou a master of Israel? Hey, aren't you one of the teachers of Israel? Aren't you the one who should know everything that could be known? That's why you're a teacher. Art thou a master of Israel? And no, it's not these things. What is Jesus trying to tell Nicodemus. I believe that what Jesus is trying to do in this conversation with Jesus, uh, that with Nicodemus, is to drive him from head knowledge to believing with the heart. So in verse number eleven, he gives this call to faith. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is he's saying, all right, there are things that you really need to know and believe. So I'm going to start with some things that you can know and that you can understand. And if you will believe me in these things, then you can believe me in the things that there's no way that you could know. See, Jesus, I don't believe is putting down Nicodemus. "Ah, How could you be a teacher and not know these things? I don't think that's the attitude at all. What I think that Jesus is doing is he's trying to say, all right, there are things that you can't know that you have to trust me on this. You ever wonder why God hides things from us? You ever hide things from your kids? You ever hide Christmas gifts from your kids? You know, you try to put them someplace that they won't find it, okay? Somehow they always find it, right? Somehow when you're not looking, they go digging through, <laughs> you know, they find these things, you know? I have the advantage of my kids are small. I can just put things way up high and they can't reach them, you know? You ever hide things from your kids, All right? Now for you and for me, we might have good reasons or bad reasons, but God is good, right? If God only does good, why would he hide things from us, right? He could show himself to us, but he doesn't, right? Anybody seen God here today? Nobody here has seen God today. Why is that? He could show himself, but he hasn't. Anybody here seen heaven or hell today? He could reveal those things to us, but he hasn't. He hasn't shown us a lot of things. Now, why would that be the case? Why would God hide things from us? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, right? For without faith, it is impossible to please him. What God is trying to do is to help us to go from living by sight To living by faith. And he drives towards this choice of faith. Verse 14 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's only one choice for faith for us. It's Christ or nothing. It's Christ versus everything else. It's Christ versus your way. And what Jesus is trying to do is saying, all right, everybody lives lives of faith whether you believe it or not, you live a life of faith. You're putting your trust in something or somebody. Now, your faith might be in yourself. I'm trusting me. In me, we trust, (laughs) right? That might be one way to go about it. Or I'm trusting the government. I'm trusting my family. I'm trusting my finances. I'm trusting my skills and abilities. I'm trusting myself. Or we could trust in God. What God says is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What Jesus is saying is, all right, you have this opportunity of faith, but it's got to be put in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he gets to the very end of this uh, conversation in verse number 18, this confession in faith. Verse number 18 says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that Cometh to the light, that is, these may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to put your trust in me. But if you're going to put your trust in me, you've got to do something first, which is you've got to confess your sins. You've got to make confession. For us to be saved, we must be saved from something. Amen? Amen. What are we being saved from? our sin. We have sinned. We've broken God's law. We have offended God. We have turned our own way. And God is saying, don't go that way. The end of that way is destruction. The end of that way is death. The end of that way is hell. Don't go that way. And yet all of us, we have all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And God is saying, don't go that way. But if you're going to be saved, We've got to confess our sins before God and say, God, I realize now I'm lost because I went my own way and I'm going to die. God, will you save me? God, will you deliver me? God, will you cleanse me of my sin? And that's what God is trying to drive towards is you could sit here in church every single Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, read your Bible through every single year, but unless you put your trust in it, God's not pleased, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. See, God doesn't care how much of the Bible you know. God doesn't care how many times that you've quoted a Bible verse. God doesn't care about any of those things. What he cares about is, will you put your trust in Jesus Christ today? That's what God is driving towards. So, do we see things like Jesus? Do we think only about the external? Or are we thinking about the internal, who I am on the inside? Do we think only about the physical and the financial and the pleasures of this world? Or do we think about the spiritual? And if we will, we will lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Thirdly, are we only thinking about things with our head? Or are we committing ourselves to the Lord with our heart and putting our full trust in him? Are we going to be like Nicodemus? Or will we put our trust in Christ?